And so Peter is writing to these people, and they've been under these uh, subtle attacks, some subtle, some more outright. And to them, Peter offers pearls of wisdom on finishing strong for Christ. And I want to read for you now 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 21. And that's not what's up there on the screen, so don't worry about that. Just cut that off. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. And, uh, you know, unlike school, when you're taking a test, if you don't have a Bible, you can look on your other person's paper. If you don't have a Bible, just look on, share with somebody next to you. And we read in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I, I think it's right that as long as I am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made it clear to me. And I'll also make every effort so that you're able to recall these things at any time after my departure. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have this prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dies, dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophet ever came by the will of man, but instead men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is replete with stories of people who had a strong start for God, but they finished poorly. If we turn to the Old Testament, <clears throat> at least in our thoughts, we read the stories of the first, uh, two of the first three kings in Israel had a fantastic start for God. You look at the life of Saul, you look at the life of Solomon. I mean, God chose these two men because they were on fire for him. And yet when we follow their stories, both of those kings finished poorly for God. Now thank God that he also includes in his words, in his word, stories of people who had a slow start but finished strong. And Peter's one of those people. I mean, we remember Peter when we meet him, first of all, in Scripture. What we find is we find a man who is strong, who's forceful. He's impetuous. He is uh, guided by his flesh more than the Spirit. And we see it evidenced over and over again. And we know, boy, this guy, if he doesn't find something... If there's not a change in his life, he's going to make a real mess of things. And you know what happens? 
Right before Jesus is crucified, Peter, who has been close to Jesus, who's a friend of Jesus, who's had some great experiences with Jesus, turns out denying Jesus three times. But the Peter that we meet in this letter is not that Peter. This Peter's been fully restored to Jesus. This Peter, over a period of time now, has proven himself faithful, and he's been tested. And when you look at his life, it is this man who had a slow start but finished strong. Now, I just want to say to you this morning, there's absolutely no place, no one place in Scripture where we can go and find a comprehensive list that is one paragraph where there's one, two, three, four. Follow these steps and you'll finish strong for Christ. There's no place, one place in Scripture where we can do that. But what we can do is we can listen to the words of a person who did finish strong and from him learn something about what it means and what it will take for you and for me to finish strong for Christ. And I want to share with you this morning two principles about finishing strong for Christ. The first principle is this. To finish strong for Christ, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Go back and look into the scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1. And notice what he says in verses 12 and 13. He writes to him, he says, you know, I'm going to remind you of these things. For as long as I remain in this earthly tent, that's my goal. As long as I am physically alive. And we notice that word reminds. So it tells us that he's going to remind them of some things that they already know. These are not new revelations. These are not new truths. But instead, he writes in verse 12, you already know them and have been established in the truth. Now, so important are these things that Peter makes sure to reinforce them one last time. I mean, this is it. This is his last letter. Because he knows from special revelation from the Lord that he will soon leave this earthly tent. Now, according to this tested and proven apostle, basic Christian truth is something in which God's people are to be established and of which we are to be reminded. You know, truth isn't a uh, cosmic guessing game we stumble upon if we're lucky, nor is it a mysterious riddle that we solve if we are particularly bright. It doesn't change with the winds of culture or the whims of experience. And the fact that Peter reminds them of these things tells us that these truths don't change. But here's the deal. One cannot remember what one has not read or heard. 
From the annals of church history, we find inspiration and challenge from stories of great Christians. One of those persons who made a profound impact for Jesus Christ was a man by the name of George Mueller. He was a Christian evangelist, and he lived for most of the 19th century. He was born in like 1805 and lived until like 1897. Can you imagine that? He filled up almost a, a whole century. George Mueller, in his lifetime, carried the gospel to 32 countries on five different continents. All totaled, when they followed it on a map, he traveled over 200,000 miles carrying the gospel around the world. Now, you'd think a guy that is that well-traveled, who makes his home in Bristol, England, might sit back and take it easy during those hours and days when he's home, when he's not on the road preaching, but not George Mueller. George Mueller was the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And under his direction, the Ashley Down Orphanage cared for over 10,024 orphans during his time while he was the director of the orphanage. And that's not all he did. George Mueller created 117 Christian schools. And in the 117 Christian schools in his lifetime, they educated over 102,000 children. What was the secret to Charles Mueller's life? Obviously, he had a a dedicated, faithful love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what distinguished George Mueller from many others is that it is reported that George Mueller read through the entire Word of God 200 times. Sitting under sound Bible teaching, of course, is important. Gathering together to worship once a week on the first day of the week is commanded in Scripture. Yet in addition to these vitally important practices, nothing will impact our lives more than spending prayerful time reading the Word of God during the week. That's not an either-or, it's a both-and. And what we see in the life of George Mueller is a man who kept reminding himself, who kept refreshing himself in the truth by reading it over and over again. Now, I don't know about you, but I've certainly had times in my life where I've read through Scripture, and I've had times when I've read through parts of Scripture, and, you know, the experience was more like, was what was that I just read? Or I read the same line over ten times, you know, and I went, okay, I'm going to hit it one more time. You know, maybe it'll break through. 
I mean, you ever have times where you read the Bible and you feel like I'm not getting anything out of it? I mean, you know you're getting something out of it, but you're not getting as much as you'd like to get out of it. True story here. A Dr. Cognon, he came and he spoke to D.L. Moody one time after one of Moody's conferences, and he, he confessed to Moody. He said, you know, I read the Bible, but I don't get much out of it. And D.L. Moody said, well, don't quit, change your approach. And this is what D.L. Moody suggested. He said, read through the book of 2 Peter multiple times a day and do it for a month. Well, Dr. Cogden and his wife did just that. Three chapters in the book of 2 Peter. And they would read through 2 Peter together two or three times in the morning. Two or three times at lunch. And two or three times in the evening. After weeks had passed, a month had finished, Dr. Cogden came to his wife and he said, See how I've ruined my Bible? I mean, I have soiled its pages and wrinkled them with my oily fingers. I've got water spots on the pages where I've spilt things and I've wet the pages with my tears. And I've underlined so many things, and I've highlighted so many things in different colors. Look how I've blackened the pages. And Dr. Cogden's wife turned to him and said, yes. But I've noticed that as the pages have gotten blacker, your life has gotten whiter. I don't get much out of reading the Word of God. Try prayerfully reading the Word of God and read it several times a day until the pages begin to affect your behavior. The more we prayerfully read Scripture, the more evident it becomes in our lifestyle. Christian's truth is something in which God's people are to be established and of which we are to be reminded. Now, based on Peter's teaching in verse 15, he also tells us that Christian truth is objective. Christian truth is objective. In other words, it can be expressed in words which we can recall at any time. I mean, it's written down for us. It's on these pages that we have before us. But there's a, a very important word that we read at the start of our scripture reading this morning. It's, it's found in verse 12. It's the first word in verse 12, and it's the word therefore. And so Peter says, therefore I'm going to remind you of these things. Well, what things? Well, obviously, if you've got the word therefore, he's calling us to remember what's he's already, what he's already written. Now, he's already taught them these things. He said, I'm not bringing to you anything new, but I want you to go back. I want you to remember what I've taught you over and over again. 
These are not new things. You know these things. These are the things about which you've been established in the truth. And if the first principle of finishing strong for Christ is preach the gospel to yourself every day, logical question is, well, what is the gospel? Well, Peter breaks it down for him in verses 1 through 11 in that first chapter. He breaks it down for him in three sections. Section 1 is verses 1 through 4. Our faith doesn't depend upon ourselves, but it rests in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we have been saved by grace and have peace with God. That's how he starts his introduction of the gospel to these people. Not new things. I just want to remind you of what you've already, what you know already, what you've already been established in, and this is what I want you to do, and I want you to remind yourself of these things. And so he goes back in this first section, and he says, this is what you need to remind yourself often. That through Jesus we've been adopted into God's family, and we are joint heirs with Christ. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8. It says in Romans 8, verse 15, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption. (laughs) By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Yes, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now if you were listening closely to those words, what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 is exactly what Peter's talking about here. This is the truth upon which you have been established. You're God's child. You already belong to him. God deeply loves you. You are loved unconditionally. God is pleased with you. He likes you no matter what. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7 also says to us, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, listen to this, the one he loves. And he punishes every son he receives. Now, I don't know how it is around your house, but you don't punish other people's children, you punish your children. And you discipline your children not because you hate them, but because you love them and because they're your children. It's on you to raise them the right way. God loves us. He accepts us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us any more or love us any less than he has already in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are co-heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Christ. We are part of God's family. He loves us unconditionally. And you know what? Every now and again, he's going to spike his kids. Why? Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. It's a sign we belong to him. But then I notice also in verses 3 and 4, he says, God has given us everything required for life and godliness. He says we have divine power in verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
He's just saying that the Christian life is a supernatural life. It's not like the old motor has been overhauled. It's like, man, they pulled the engine and they stuck a new motor in there. It's a supernatural, divinely powered life. And we've been given very great and precious promises, verse 4 says. Now, I don't want us to turn to all these, but let me just rattle a few of them off for you. John 10, 28 and 29, no one can snatch you out of God's hand. Romans 8, 31 to 39, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. John 14, 16 and 17, the Holy Spirit lives inside you and will be with you forever. 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus will never leave you or abandon you. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is too great. No temptation has come upon you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to stand. We have been given very great and precious promises. And then he says in verse 4, we share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil desire. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. And what the Bible is saying is that one of the new things that comes is this divine nature that God gives us. It's that inner desire, and not just the desire, but that inner power to be able to do those things which are pleasing to God, those things which cause praise to rise up to God. And yet we know, Romans 6 and 7 tells us that though we have this divine nature, we find ourselves butting heads with that old sin nature that we had. <clears throat> There's a story about a gentleman who raised dogs for a dog fight. People would come over and they would bet on the fights. He had a neighbor who came over, but the neighbor never bet. Dog fighting is illegal. Don't try this at home. But the man had two dogs, one white and one black, who fought. People would bet on the two dogs. And sometimes the white dog would win, and sometimes the black dog would win. And his neighbor, who didn't bet, said, man, that is the craziest thing I have ever seen. He said, you know I don't bet. What is the secret? How? I know you know. How is it that the white dog wins sometimes and the black dog wins at other times? And he said, well, he says it works like this. Whichever dog I feed the most is the strongest dog and always wins the fight. 
Man, that is a great principle for us, isn't it? You have an old sin nature, you've got a new divine nature. Whichever one you feed the most is going to be the stronger of the two. So feed the divine nature and starve the old sinful nature. And then in section 2, verses 5 through 7, don't get stuck, grow in godliness. That's part of the gospel message that Peter preaches to these people. Remember, verse 12, therefore, all these things that he's just said, go back and remember these things. These are the things upon which your faith was founded. Don't be moved from these things. This is the truth. This is the truth. And in verse 5, Peter says, make every effort. The idea is, God has given you this wonderful life, this divine life, this new nature, this divine nature that you have. He's given you all of these wonderful promises. Now you bring the diligence to it. Follow through on those things so that you may grow in Christ-likeness. Now nobody in this room is going to achieve Christ-likeness this side of heaven. I mean, I don't know about you, but Man, I have been through some hard things, some struggles. I, and, and I'm still going through them. I wish they were not part of my life, but they are part of my life. Don't you sometimes just wish, God, why can't I be more consistent in that area? Well, welcome to the Christian life. D.A. Carson put it so well in one of his books. It kind of dates the book when I tell you the title, but I thought I'd share it with you anyway. Becoming Conversant with the Emerging Church. And D.A. Carson wrote this, The dominant biblical pattern is neither let go and let God, nor God's done his bit, and now it's all up to you. But rather, since God is powerfully at work in you, you yourself must make every effort. We've read that in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what Paul said when he wrote Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13? He put it like this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working where? In you, both to what? Will and work according to his good pleasure. Spiritual growth involves God's resources as the foundation, but also it, it involves our responsible effort to grow in godliness. God doesn't just do it all for us. And it's not just up to us to go out and get it. It's because God has sincerely changed our lives. We're to pursue these things. And so in section 1, Peter states what God has done for us in pouring his very life to us. And in section 2, Peter spells out our responsibilities to grow in Christ's likeness. For the moment we're born again so that God's life dwells in us, we're set apart from this evil world unto God, and now we belong to him. And Peter writes... 
Make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he goes on to do what? In verses 6 and 7, he lists several characteristics that we should be developing in our growth in Christ-likeness. Now, most Christians want to grow in the Lord. I think especially when we come to know Christ, it's fresh, it's new, we're excited about it, we're thrilled. I mean, we want to go for it, we're real pumped up. But as time goes on, the enthusiasm can begin to wane, and we settle into a humdrum routine, and we grow spiritually complacent. And so what does Peter do? He comes along in verses 5 and 7, and he says, look, don't get stuck. Grow in godliness. Then in verses 8 through 11, he gives us section 3. Peter cites some of the benefits of growing in godliness. And look at what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's he saying here? He's saying... What's the benefit of growing in godliness? And the benefit of growing in godliness is this. Growing in godliness makes us useful to God and fruitful in His service. Now having touched on what the truth is, Peter goes on to describe what the truth is not. I said I had two principles for you this morning. The first one was... Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And the second principle is this. Treat the Bible as your only totally reliable source of truth. In verses 16 through 18, Peter draws on his own experience as a chosen apostle of Christ. And he answers the doubts of some who may not view Christian claims as reflecting dependable truth. And he says this in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Truth's not a myth. Now, what is a myth? These people are surrounded by religions that have numerous false gods uh, you've got the culture of the Romans, you've got the culture of the Greeks, you've got the culture of the Persians, you've got the culture of the Egyptians. All of these have their own religions and they all have their own gods and they all have stories about these gods of their great exploits and what they're like. Now what is a myth? Well, a myth is a speculation, a fable. It's a fiction dreamed up by people to illustrate life. And sometimes a myth is just simply to entertain us by drawing us into a moving story. And I thought, well, what would be a good way to describe that for us today? And I thought about some fictional movies and novels that, that we see and we've read. Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, you know. It delights us, it excites us, it moves us. But nobody in their right mind believes that the characters in Star Wars really reside in a galaxy far, far away. That'd be absurd. 
And though there are some epic stories like J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, and while these contain parallels to spiritual truths, I mean, they're intentional when you read there and you know what you're reading and watching. Nobody in their right mind believes in the existence of Middle Earth. Or that a parallel universe exists in a spare room closet. Such fantastic stories are easily discerned as what? Mythological fictions. And Peter makes it personally clear, perfectly clear that the foundational Christian claims about the coming of Christ, his death, his resurrection, those things do not fall in the category of myth. Well, Peter, how can you make such a claim with certainty? I mean, you sound, you're so sure about it when you say it. Well, let me tell you why I'm certain about it. Because I was an eyewitness. I and the other disciples, we saw the majesty of Christ with our own eyes. Now, false religions and false teachers in Peter's day, they rested their beliefs and practices on on fabricated stories that were presented as historical truth. But in contrast, everything Peter taught concerning Christ came from authentic personal experience. And in verses 17 and 18, Peter selects one of those experiences. He says there was a time when James, John, and I were on the holy mountain with Jesus when he was transformed. And at that same time, we looked with our own eyes and there was the appearance of Moses and Elijah with Jesus who were also in a transformed state. I mean, we saw it with our own eyes. And you can read about the experience because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all wrote about it. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Now, why does Peter choose this particular account? Well, in verse 18, he tells us, let me, let me tell you, because I personally heard with my own ears a voice, the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter could legitimately say God himself has validated the words and works of Jesus. Now if you're following along, he's going somewhere with this. What he's saying is Bible truth is something other than merely human. So in addition to hearing these divine words with his own ears, Peter saw with his own eyes Jesus' brilliance shining forth during a brief moment of transformation. And with his own eyes and with his own ears, Peter both saw and heard the confirmation of the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now while the Lord God spoke in written form, when he dictated 
and wrote down the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, God communicated orally, audibly, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Moses and Elijah appeared, the Old Testament representatives of the law and the prophets, Peter understood that in Jesus, the Old Testament finds its fulfillment. Now with such a stunning validation of Jesus' ministry, nobody could doubt that in Christ we have truth personified. Now, of course, not everybody has the privilege on standing on Mount Hermon. We don't get to see the spirits of departed saints and to hear God himself confirm the truth of the Christian message, and that's why as we will see next week. Peter transitions from the reliability of the message of the apostles to the reliability of the written word of God. Now let me ask you a question this morning. All right, take a, take a deep breath. <laughs> the, the pouring out, I've given it all to you. I ask you a question this morning. When you're standing at a crossroads in life and you want to know, do I go right or do I go left? What do you turn to or who do you look to to determine which direction you go? Well, Peter says to finish strong for Christ, two things are vitally important. Preach the gospel to yourself every day and treat the Bible as the only totally reliable source of truth. John 3, 16 through 18, words of Jesus. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world should be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Anyone who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the one and only Son God sent. Today, whether you're watching us online or you're in this room, do you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior? Four things. Admit. Believe. Confess. Receive. Admit that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. 
believe that God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on the cross for our sin, that through believing in him, we might have forgiveness of sin. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And receive God's forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now there's someone in here today who needed to hear that. Someone watching online. And we all know someone who needs to hear that. And so this morning, I want to invite you to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Tell somebody about it. Or maybe today you say, you know, I've been thinking about these things for a long time. I'd like to just talk with somebody about it and get some further guidance. Well, that's why we're here. And whatever else is going to happen later on this afternoon or tomorrow, you know, it really doesn't matter. It's what happens right now that's most important. Because what happens right now determines what will happen in the future. It's what we do with Jesus Christ. So today I want to invite you to come to faith in Christ through trusting in Jesus as your Savior, confessing your sin, calling on Him to save you. And during this time of singing, this Tom is coming even now, and those who come with him who are going to help us during our time of response to God. I want us just to say right now that uh, Andy's going to station himself here at the front. We're going to sing together, and I want you to come today and say, you know, today I want to take Jesus as my Savior, Andy. Or I've got some questions. Can you meet with me and talk with me about it? And that's why we're here. Really, that's why we're here. And so I want to invite you to do that this morning. Maybe you'd say, you know, I heard you talk about first steps and becoming a part of the church. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I know I can come to first steps, but I just kind of wanted to come introduce myself to you and get to know you, and we can make a connection and talk more later. But this morning, this is our time. This is our time to tell Jesus we love him, how important he is to us, and then our actions will follow as we leave this place preach the gospel to ourselves treat the word of God as the only reliable source of truth let's stand together maybe right now let's read.